Writing Matters with Dr. Troy Hicks is a writable podcast. Find more episodes and subscribe on your favorite platforms. And if you want to learn how to grow great writers, check out writable.com. In this episode, Troy speaks with Evan Grant, a 6th through 8th grade ELA and humanities teacher in Oregon. Evan is a speaker, former elementary school teacher, and committed to challenging the status quo in education. Evan shares some wonderful and creative tips for teachers, like banning certain words and phrases to encourage effective peer feedback and using a funnel method that involves an actual funnel to help his students become a collaborative team. Well, welcome to this episode of our podcast. Today we are talking with Evan Grant of Tumalo Community School in Bend, Oregon. Evan, how are you today? I'm doing well. Doing well. Great. And we're always curious to know where educators are at in their journey. So tell us a little bit about uh, where you are and what your day-to-day life as an educator looks like right now. Yeah, so I am currently teaching in middle in the middle school. I'm at a K-8 school and we have 90 total middle school students. So I get sixth, seventh, and eighth graders. I get every single middle school kid every day for three years. They're stuck with me. Um, and so I teach humanities, language arts, and social studies, and I get to kind of embed those and separate those as I, as I want to. And um, previously taught fourth and fifth grade in California, and then also at my current school. So um, elementary background, and I've been now in middle school. This is my second year in middle school. That's great. So you said you have sixth, seventh, and eighth graders, and it's a real humanities focus that you bring to all of those courses. Yeah, yeah exactly. Fantastic. Well, great. Well, I know we've had a chance to talk briefly and been connected at least via email and some other uh, asynchronous ways uh, through Writable, and I'm so glad that we have this opportunity to talk today. So, you know, one of the things that we're really trying to do with this series is just get right to it with the strategies. We could probably sit here and talk for the whole half hour and think about philosophy and pedagogy and, you know, that stuff's important, but we're really just curious to know what are the go-to strategies? What's something that you're doing with your students in your classroom right now when it comes to teaching writing that works really well for you? Yeah. So one of my big focuses is always on outlining and creating a structure for my students' writing. I find a lot of specifically sixth graders when they first come into middle school, they have, they have some foundational convention skills. Um, most of what they've written is in story form is what I find. So transitioning them into that informational persuasive writing, um, to me, outlining is the key to that. So I've really tried to think about different ways of outlining. So for example, I've, um, I have students make iMovies explaining each part of the essay. Um, and walking us through that. So instead of having to write it out, they get to create it that way. Um, Mm -hmm. Using Book Creator for an essay. So breaking down their essay throughout a Book Creator. So as they put their essay in, they're also explaining what it is that that section is about. Introduction. Okay, what's in the introduction? And they have to put that on the Book Creator page as kind of their outline before they really move into the essay part. I've used Writable a lot, uh, both with me providing the outlining tool in Writable, but I've also kind of flipped that and had them help me come up with the rubric or outline that you can then load into Writable. And that's been really powerful because then they're seeing their work get directly put into this program that they are then evaluating each other and themselves on. Um, So I guess that's kind of my 
go-to first step with writing. And I find kind of the more I do that with them, the better understanding they have, and then they're able to apply it. My ultimate goal is, you know, here's your topic or pick your topic and use one of the tools that we've, that we've learned this year or over the course of multiple years in my case. So ultimately working them towards finding something that works for them. I think when I was in school, I was often forced into things and mm-hmm. some when it didn't work, it didn't work. And I just was kept being forced to use it. So um, trying to just give them a broad array of strategies to do that. Uh, yeah. Outlining. Good. Yeah. I'd like to hear a little bit more about that scaffolding and how you, you move them towards independence, especially since you get to see these same students from sixth, seventh and eighth grade. Mm-hmm. That's pretty interesting. I am curious though, if you could just elaborate briefly, tell us about that iMovie strategy. Um, is it, do they just record themselves on webcam talking about their outline or do you actually have them put little video clips or photos into a timeline or what, what do they do when they, they use iMovie? Yeah, it's a good question. So I, one of my big things with iMovie is I don't, I call it no floating heads. I don't like to just see a head talking. I kind of want to um, enhance that cognitive process a little bit. So I do force them to find pictures and match to what they're talking about. So for example, um, a five paragraph essay, int- we would make five, or I would read three videos. So an introduction video, your body paragraphs video, and then a conclusion video. And within that, so for example, your introduction would start with a hook. So a lot of them have silly images of Captain Hook or a fish hook or something. And then they break down, you know, okay, what comes next? Well, we provide some background information and then they go into the thesis. So their voice recording and then finding images to support that, um, whether it be kind of silly cartoon images or um, pieces of a writing where they've highlighted the thesis statement, for example, as they're talking about it. Um, and they're short, you know, I try to keep it 30 to 45 seconds. Otherwise the quality tends to dip off pretty quickly. Um, so then they have those three videos that they kind of have as a tool that they can then go pull out when they write. Usually I load it into a book creator, just to store it nicely. And then they can also add notes and stuff on there for themselves. Um, and then I, you know, an assignment like that, I typically have them work with a partner. I just believe in that dialogue and, getting mm-hmm. students collaborating um, is really powerful. Yeah, that makes good sense. So good. So yeah, back to this idea of scaffolding with the outline and, and what you're starting to notice. And, and you said you've been at your current school. This is second year, third year? This is my second year in the middle school, fourth year second. at the school. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So you're, you're just starting to see some of these kids that you've had for yeah. a whole year now coming into their own. Do you, do you feel like that outlining strategy is something that stuck with them and that you're seeing growth with that over the years? How is that going? Yeah, I do. I think, um, you know, obviously the more they practice, the better idea they get, the better grasp they have. And I think it's neat now to see my seventh and eighth graders who I had last year, um, when we go to write and I don't give them a specific strategy or specific outline to see the different strategies that they generate. Um, I usually will have, you know, four or five different outlines up in front of the room that they can go get if they want. And what I'm finding is most students at this point don't need that. Most students are creating their own outlines on paper, still following all the rules, still following the expectations. But um, I feel like they have enough of a grasp on it that they're able to create their own. So that's pretty exciting. Even things like smarter balance testing, where we all know some students, um, 
<laughs> some students tend to take shortcuts and others really dive in. It was nice to see in an, an opportunity where I couldn't tell them, hey, you have to do an outline. I still saw students using a lot of the strategies. So that was interesting to see them transfer that over. Very good, very good. So of course, thinking about these great teaching strategies, we're always interested too in thinking about the role of feedback in teachers' classrooms. And so thinking about the types of feedback that you provide to students, the types of feedback that you invite students to provide to one another, tell us a little bit about the role of feedback in your writing classroom. Yeah, so, you know, I know there's lots of philosophies on feedback and ideas behind it. I, I typically live by, um, the philosophy that we're never done with writing and we can always keep going and keep improving. And so when I provide feedback, my feedback usually looks like a lot of questioning. I provide a lot of questions in the margins or commenting. If I'm using a Google doc, for example, very little direct instruction to them, you know, beyond obviously grammatical corrections when necessary. But even on the first few drafts, I try to avoid those because I really want to focus on their ideas and their thinking and I don't want students to get discouraged with, oh, you forgot a comma here or whatever it might be. So a lot of questions just to get them to think about it. You know, why, why do you put your reasons in this order? You know, was, there, was that intentional or not? Um, and then from that, usually I try to create time to meet with each student. And that's obviously a challenge as any classroom teacher knows. Um, so one of the things is Writables allowed me to make it this digital, um, basically a digital meeting, digital conference with students with that structure. And it's super broken down, especially when the students have helped create the, the uh, rubric in there. That really helps sure. that feedback have be a lot more effective because they, I can spend less time explaining what each thing means and they can really focus on the feedback they're getting. Um, and then as far as student feedback goes, I'm always trying to find ways to do that well in the classroom where um, students are taking it and um, really taking it seriously. And Writable, again, has allowed me to do that. Google Docs, shared, shared Docs has been a great tool, obviously, um, to do that. But I, my old teaching partner and I, Dina Glenn, we created something called Specs, and it's all about commenting, digital commenting. Mm -hmm. So um, it's specific punctuation, evidence, carefully consider it, and then two sentences, and sentences is two or more sentences. And we really kind of preach that early in the school year of what it looks like to give feedback, and that specific piece especially is what I found one of the more challenging areas to really have students give specific feedback. And um, yeah. I would say that's, it's, it's quite a process. I'd say just about this time of year, students seem to start to get that idea of, oh, I can't just say, I liked your introduction, or um, you didn't give enough examples. Well, we have to really give more specific feedback. So um, I you know, yeah. try to create as many opportunities as I can for students and have them go from there. Great, so actually that moment that you're talking about right now, that, that moment where you're trying to get kids to be more specific in their feedback, I wonder if you could talk about that a little bit. I mean, again, I know that, you know, you are using Writable and that technology platform is helpful, but even in thinking about the one-to-one the -one conversations you have with students to help them become better, you know, feedback providers um, or in small groups or in mini lessons, like 
what are the ways that you help get them from the, oh, hey, yeah, good job, to, no, let's really be specific. Let's talk about writerly moves. Let's think about mentor text. Let's try to give some some encouragement and critique at the same time. Like, what are the things that you, you're actually doing with students in the, those little important conversations to help move them forward? Yeah. I guess part of it is if we're working on a specific skill, that oftentimes will help them. And the more we do that, then they start to understand what it looks like. So for example, with my seventh graders, I'm talking about voice right now and those kind of illogical shifts between first, second, third person voice and going, having them go through their essays and really be able to focus on that. It kind of trains them to then be able to give specific feedback. It's, you know, for a seventh grader to just say, hey, give this essay feedback, that's a huge task and they could go so many different directions. So really narrowing that focus has helped a lot. Um, the, other, the other thing I've done is I've banned a few phrases and I've found that that really gets students thinking. So I've banned good job or um, and I usually joke like, oh, I banned good job. What do you mean? You, but um, I figured I found that that really helps. I've also banned the word thing in something because it forces students to think beyond that. And that's been really powerful. I'll get students from, I, I, you know, I just want to say you need to add something here. Okay. Well, we can't use something. So how else are you going to say that? And really challenging them on those, just that vocabulary piece to use more descriptive words to really explain. Usually they'll replace that word something with four sentences that really explain what they need to do. So yeah. um, those are some, some little tricks I've, I've tried. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I really like that. Second, I mean, certainly the eliminating the kind of generic good job or nice work or something like that, but then really forcing them to articulate saying you can't just say thing you've got to name yeah. the technique or the the strategy that the writer should be able to use which will then help them in their own writing as well right. so I, I like that one that's really good so great so we're thinking about strategies thinking about feedback this can all get pretty overwhelming sometimes uh, when you're trying to stay on top of, you know, dozens of writers work and conferring with them and all that. So um, we're really curious to know, like, what fuels you? What motivates you? And you can think about this from a couple different angles, um, maybe as a writer and as a teacher who writes what fuels you or um, what fuels you just as a teacher of writing and kind of keeps you going. And um, then, you know, once we hear the the big idea about what fuels you, we'll be really curious to hear more of what that looks like in your day-to-day -day work. So, so what motivates you? What keeps you going as a teacher of writing and even as a writer yourself? I think what really fuels me was reflecting on my own education. And I, I always felt like I was being forced to write very specific pieces growing up. And specifically longer essays on certain topics that are assigned to me. And that always bothered me. And then I became an adult and went to apply for jobs and realized that this, some of the skills were transferable, but they could have been a lot more meaningful for me. So I think what fuels me is making writing meaningful for kids to help connect those dots um, for reluctant writers, for kids that, you know, they want to go to trade school or they want to do something maybe not in the academia world and 
I, I struggled making those connections as a kid. So what fuels me is always finding ways to do that and finding ways to give them an audience and give them choice in their writing. You know, whether, no matter what you do, you're going to have to communicate in writing somehow. And that seems especially important for the middle school audience when they're kind of coming Mm -hmm. of age and trying to figure out exactly who they are and what they believe being able to have that audience. So do you have any kind of specific examples of how you, you enact that idea of choice and that, that idea that they do have an audience that they can speak to? Are there other strategies or tips or techniques that uh, we haven't had a chance to talk about yet that really demonstrate the ways in which you're able to provide them with those choices and audiences? Yeah, I think it's, for me, you know, I'll, I'll think I have a great assignment and I'll create something and then I usually try to sit back on it for a little bit and think, okay, am I really doing what I'm trying to accomplish here? For example, I, I have students do book reports each month. Well, you know, your traditional book report might be a summary or a review or something like that. I've created kind of six different options for students. But I've also created, I just this past month, I was, I was having kids that weren't reading and then their writing was sloppy because they didn't care. And so I re, I kind of reflected on that. And so this month I allowed them to go to um, find articles on a specific topic that they chose and read those and then write about those. So instead of putting together this long book summary, they summarize an article and then write a response to it. I call it a reaction response. So, um, you know, it's a topic sentence, a quote from the article, and then analysis. So just thinking about ways where I'm not forcing kids and, you know, where they're pulling their hair out, writing about something that they don't, they don't really care. As long as I can still work on those writing skills with them, a lot of the times the topic is a lot less important, I've found. And, and especially in middle school, I think letting kids write with their opinions and share their voice, um, no matter what it is. Yeah. So as one kind of quick follow up and uh, perhaps a way to think about closing this, what, what are the topics and opinions that your students uh, in Oregon are most often thinking about nowadays? Do you, do you see mm-hmm. some trends or some things that uh, probably resonate for all middle school kids, but I'm just wondering uh, what, what's happening in your community and in your state and your area of the world. Are there, are there things that they're really picking up on and writing about? Yeah, I think, well, you get your classic no homework uh, <laughs> topics like that, or the kids that are going to write about sports. And I had a great one on child leashes. Kids didn't like child leashes, the backpacks that kid, parents walk oh. their kids around Disneyland with. Um, so those are just kind of some funny ones. But I saw some pretty insightful ones this round about, for example, immigration. We've been talking about that with my eighth graders and I had two or three kids choose to write about that. Um, you know, we're, we're studying the constitution. I had a student who has shown very little interest in social studies. So it seems do all of their articles on different parts of the constitution. So hmm. it's, it's interesting to see what they pick and then, kind of how they respond. Sometimes it's really surprised me how they've responded. Wow, that's really interesting. You've got a middle school kid really digging into the constitution and thinking about all the intricacies of that. Wonderful. So it seems to me that another really important aspect of this is helping students figure out what topics to choose. How does that work for you? Yeah, so I kind of, I use a funnel method and I work with my kids on this funnel method. So 
they either start too big. A lot of kids want to start too big and then you have to funnel them down. And we actually, I have a physical funnel and they, we work in a team. So I, I'll put them in teams of three or four and they help funnel it down to what that team decides would be kind of a feasible amount or um, you know, depth for their topic. And then, but I also flip the funnel because you'll get some kids that are so narrow. You're like, I don't think we're going to get five paragraphs out of this. How can we broaden it? So, but that's in that teamwork, that collaborative piece has really been powerful because then it gets more students invested. They've got an audience and they're almost giving a sales pitch for their topic. And that's been really helpful for them to be able to, when they go to write, be a lot more effective instead of that kind of frozen moment of, oh my gosh, I have no clue where to start or yeah. writing three sentences and, oh, I'm, I've said everything I need to say. <laughs> so that's been a helpful tool as well. That's great. And that kind of fits in during the outlining and brainstorming process, or is that something that happens at all stages of the writing process, just depending on the kid and depending on the topic? Yeah, I think typically we do it in the beginning, but then obviously as you go, sometimes you discover things or your writing starts to go in a path you didn't necessarily expect and you have to adjust in the moment. Well, Evan, thank you so much for what you do for your kids in the classroom every day. And thank you for spending some time with us. No, oh, thank you. My pleasure. Writing Matters with Dr. Troy Hicks is a writable podcast. Discover more episodes and subscribe on your favorite streaming platforms. Or check out filmed episodes on YouTube. Writable offers more than 600 writing prompts and assignments with a range of feedback and assessment tools to help you build more purposeful, proficient writers. Learn more at writable.com.